Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday Chalmoid Sukkus, and uh, let me say a few words about Shana Rabba, Daravis altogether. Um, take advantage while I can. Maybe later, if I'll have a, t- a chance, I'll do something about Simchas if I can. Um, so as always, I want to thank Mishpachas Stefanski for these uh, holiday and uh, and Tishrei talks sponsorship. And now we go ahead. Um, I don't know about you, but you know I pulled out the Mishnayos and on uh, Sukkot, and I do every day a little bit. And uh, especially now, have this uh, you know this uh, you know the art scroll dummy Mishnayos, you know that sort of thing. And the other ones. And anything that catches my eye, you know, I'd like zero in on. And for some reason or another, now I'm going to the fourth parrot and talking about the Mitzvah Rava. I'm not sure everybody understands it exactly. And it's a, there's a lot of confusion involved in it and a lot of non-confusion. Consequently, let me just share a few ideas, uh, speculations on this. As you know, when it comes to Sukkot, or you do or you don't know, there are all kinds of different Mitzvahs involved. But the ones that are unique to Sukkot, you know, are not that many. One is Yeshiva's HaSukkah, obviously, dwelling in the Sukkah. The other one is the Arba Minin. Uh, and the third one, and it was a Simchas Beit Sejueva, and the third one was um, the Arabas, which we don't recognize exactly today. Most people, simply because we do a commemorative of it, but it's not the original thing, of course. Uh, so if you ask many people, you know, what's the mitzvahs of Sukkah, they'll say the uh, Arba Minin and the Sukkah. And that's usually what you find. Um, and they're always like an important part of it, if it's all the way they describe it. So I'm talking about an Arava ritual. Now, mind you, there's even a debate in the Mishnah whether it was an Arava ritual or a palm tree ritual. But let's go with the regular Mahal. Anything I say today, um, there are other opinions on. That's the Because this is an obscure thing from the past. And you have Shittas. You see? And there are a lot of unclear details. But I'm a simple Jew today. This going, you know, the, the Bartanura, the Tosis Yontov, that kind of thing. Plain and simple. Let's see the way they would understand it. Okay? And now, then we'll uh, try to wrap our heads around this interesting uh, business. So, just reading from the uh, intro to the art scroll. It says you have the Arava ritual. Uh, besides, the, here it says, quote, Besides the mitzvah of taking two Arovas as part of the Arbaminim, there was another mitzvah involving Arovas and Sukkos. Each day, Kohanim took these long Arovas, waved them, and walked around the altar holding them, and then stood them against the sides of the altar. Like I said before, there's other ways, of, but let's go with this Mahal. Okay? That's Rashi and so forth. Um, so that's a mitzvah. Um, and the first day of Sukkot, they went around one time, and the seventh day, they went around seven times. Uh, this is not explicitly in, in the Torah, but it's Halacha Moshe Misinai. Like I said before, there's different opinions. Let's go with, with the one that's Halacha Moshe Misinai. That's the Rambam passes. So this is weird. 
So the Rambam or the Gemara, whoever it is in the going of the Mandamar, says that yes, God told Moshe Basukos Teshu Shiva Siyamim and so forth. And he also told him Lakaktachem Bayam Risha and Priates Hadar and the four minim. But then there's something that Hashem told Moshe that's not in the Chumash. What exactly was that? When you have this holiday, I wanted to take an Arava, right, a willow, and at least the way it sounds, do some, march around the Mizbeach and wave it and then stack it up against it. Many people have familiar one time or another they had see the pictures with the tall Arava's, I mean, Jagundo Arava's, you know, leap, uh, folding over the Mizbeach. So apparently Hashem told it to Moshe, uh, you know, how, how, how to do it. Hold on for a second. Sorry about that. You know, when you're in my business, you get these shallows all the time. Anyhow, um, so you have these, so Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, do something with the willows, with the Arabas. Um Again, the Mishnah says that the thing was, the Kohen takes, it, it's for Kohanim, right? Uh, it's Kohanim. And um, not for the public. Uh, again, there's some different opinion, but that's the mainline approach. So it's interesting. I want the Jewish people call Ezrich Bisrael to do Yeshiva's Asukah. I want all, at least male. I want all Jews to do Arbaminim, at least male. Um, I want the Kohanim to do a special ritual of their own, which involves marching around and stacking up these Arabas around the Mizbeach. Okay. So in other words, if you lived in ancient Israel, you, you probably didn't see this ceremony. Unless you're a Kohen participating in this ceremony in Beis HaMikdash. There's even a discussion about ball, a coin ball moment, all that. I don't want to get that. So, unless you happen to be a pilgrim who visited Yerushalayim in Sukkot, and you got in to the base of Migdash, which must have been, you know, imagine how they scalped the tickets to get in the temple to see the ceremony. <laughs> uh, so if you happen to be there, and you see when the Kohanim march around, you know, you look from a distance, because you can't go in where the Azar is, where, 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 where the, uh, the Ezra's Kohanim, where the Mizbech is, but you can watch. And, and you know, that's how it was. So again, regular Sukkot is for everybody. Arbamin is for everybody. This is just for Kohanim. So, Hashem told Moshe, Halacha Moshe Misinai, I want the Kohanim, those Sukkot to do something special on their own. That is, get these willows and march around with them. Okay, why? It's not clear. In addition to that, it it quickly developed that, I, and there is an opinion that the march on a little bit answered, like I said, I don't want to go into all side opinions. Pashmashat is, you know, you go, you, you do this ceremony. Now, um, here's the thing. Do you show me, look, part of the ritual is you go around one time each of the six days, on the seventh day you go around seven times, which was even even though the Shabbos, now they held out to be very important. So Hashanah Rabbah and fall on a Saturday, which nowadays they can't the way they jiggle the calendar, but once upon a time it could. So you'd even march around with that. Okay. What it, was that part of the original? Um, you know, Halacha Moshe Misinai. 
I guess it was. But wait a minute. You just told me it's halacha mishmisinai. Okay, so what's your problem? The Yerushalmi says the reason they do that is to commemorate Jericho. Yericho. I think everybody knows this story. You know, um, that when they surround the city of Yericho and Tommy Yoshua, they march around it and the and the walls fall, as everybody knows. Um, what's up, shot? Uh, it was a miracle. Okay. So, after that, somebody came up with the idea that you should commemorate that every year on Sukkot by each day going around one time and on the seventh day going around seven times. And remember, they blow the shofar also. The mission says when they go around, so they march around seven times, blow the shofar, and the walls come tumbling down. Well, in the Mishkan or the base of Mishkan, they didn't do that, but in other words, you saw a representation of that miracle. Hold on for a second. You just told me Salah Hamanashim Sinai. That means this was told to Moshe Menah before Yericho. Unless you try to argue that, you know, marching around is Allah Hamanashim Sinai, but the six days and seven days and all that business came later as a reminder of Jericho. If you say that, okay. But it doesn't seem that way. It seems like the whole thing is kind of like, uh, is, is described as Allah Hamanashim Sinai. That's what I mean when I said today is very unclear and it piqued my historicist interest. You understand? Uh, it's part of a bigger problem when you come to circus in general, but it might fit in, possibly, I don't know, with the strange or okay, I don't know if I mentioned before, I imagine I have, but since I can't remember it, hopefully you don't remember it. You know? And what I mean by that is the following. The circus um, is either uh, Ananiya covered or uh, circus Mamish, as we all know. Excuse me. Uh, Ananiya covered. Okay. I think we know what that is. Actually, we don't. <laughs> uh, have you seen clouds of glory? They're not meteorological clouds. So what's the shot? Um, but let's say there was some miraculous phenomenon. Ananiya covered. Sukkot's mamish means that they dwelled in booths. The problem, obviously, is that the Jewish people did not dwell in booths. In the desert, they dwelt in tents, which are quite different. And O.L. doesn't qualify for a sukkah. Um, you know, no schach and so forth. And if they really was to commemorate the fact, which is the fact, then we should have a, a, a mitzvah to, to be intense. We should be Boy Scouts for a week. Instead, there's a mitzvah called sukkah with all the rules and regulations. And all the little halacha mishmisinas, you know, like a, two walls and a tefach and so forth. So what is the meaning Sukkot's mamish. When, I ask you, did God put the Jews in these sukkos, such as similar to what we have in some sense, when he took them out of Egypt? Now, as I said before, there's long, long ago, I saw in the Chayyara, when he introduces the subject of sukkos, I'm going by heart here, that he says some say and the others say it was the sukkos, that the Jewish soldiers were in like pup tents, put together, you know, hand to mouth, when they waged the campaign, the war against Sichon and Og, which is kind of strange. That war against Sichon and Og takes place shortly before the death of Moshe Rabbeinu in the 40th year, long after, one thinks, the book of Vayikra, when 
the Jewish people told him Vayikra, Basukus Teshu Shibasirim Kolis Yochi Yeshu Basukus Laman Yedu Dorasechan Kipa Sukus Oshav to Rene Israel. And remember, you're going now with the Mandam Rasis Sukus Mamish. So what do you mean, Laman Yedu Dorasechan Kipa Sukus Oshav to Rene Israel? But see him Meir Tzimshim. You just told me it's some, something that happened very shortly before the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. So what does that mean? Obviously, the Chayyonim, who's a smart cookie, and is always writing in such a way to make things maximum clear, was bothered by Sukkos Mamash the way I just described it, because the Jewish people were not in Sukkos. And he's trying to explain for the public, and remember, his audience is an intelligent, fa- fairly learned, Balbazisha audience. That's the Chayyonim was written for. And, uh, you know, what does it mean, Sukkos Mamash? They're wondering. And so, if you scratch a little bit, this is long ago. It's a Rokeach from the Middle Ages. And the Rokeach says, again, he quotes others. V'yesh mefarshim, this is the Rokeach. K'shet saru al eretz ha'amari shal sichon, v'al krachim shaberetz kanan, when the Jews waged their war and besieged the cities of Sichon and the other areas of Canaan, which I take to mean the Eber Yardin, obviously. Right? So, um, Oz Yashu Yisrael Basukos. So, what he means is, of course, that we do have a reference to Sukkos in the story of David and Bathsheba when the king tells Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, go back and spend some time with your wife. Because as we know, he's all trying to cover up the fact that she's pregnant and so on and so forth. And famously, Uriah declines to do so. And he says, how can I go and spend R&R, rest and relaxation with my wife, all my buddies and Yov and the army, Ha'aron, the battle ark, the Yisrael, the Yehuda, Yoshim, Basugos. So basically, my, my all my comrades, they're out in the battlefield, not at home with their wives in a comfortable bed. They're out dwelling in Sukkos, which is pup tents of some kind or another, battlefield conditions. I would not feel right that I should go and take advantage and spend time with my wife. And then that story continued. So, Der Chagav, the argument goes, you see that Sukkos are a military thing. So, if it says, Basukos are Shavtis B'nei Yisrael, it refers to these battle tents. Not tents, but, you know, put together quickly. Soldiers in the field, they grab a few twigs here, a few twigs there, you know, they put it together. I it says Bahutsio Sami Erzmith, right? But Kolzman Shalokosha Bakalku Kari Season's right. So that's the Doka in it. That the Rokeh Tainas, or at least he quotes those of Taina. Then when it says O Shaftiya Samani Israel, it's not literally to be understood at the time of the Exodus of Egypt. It's actually talking forty years later. And the entire period prior to the entry of Israel in the time of Joshua. Is referred to as Okay. And he goes on to try to defend this, the Rokech does. You first your generation should know about these pup tents. Why? Bishlam, if you tell me it's part of your season, Mitzrayim. All right. You want to remember his miracles. Why this? And he gives like a Zionist answer. I want future generations to know, Hashem is saying, according to his shot, that you did not acquire Eretz Yisrael 
Pashat. You know, the, the God gave it Abraham, and we've had it ever since. No. Rather, this country was won through blood, sweat, and tears. Right? Why in the book of Nehemiah, that famous story that we all know that says they hadn't made sukkahs since the time of Joshua, why did they say they hadn't made sukkahs since the time of Moshe? After all, according to what I just said, the time they dwelt in sukkahs was actually in, under Moshe, not in the time of Joshua. Joshua, they crossed the river and conquered the land. They weren't in tents. They weren't in pup tents. It's a little weird shot. A very interesting shot. A very weird shot. Because it's really like implying no, they actually did do this in time of Joshua. But the Chumash is before Joshua. And therefore, it's talking about the Moshe Rabbeinu campaign. And in time of Yeshua, they finished the job. So for some reason, we don't want to mention it, but in Moshe Rabbeinu, they only started the job. They only do Sichon and Ogin, that's in the Chumash. All right. Okay. Problem, of course, is, in that case, you have to do some jiggling around, almost like a Bible critic, although not exactly. And you have to say the following. Isn't Emor from long ago? Isn't Vayikra from long ago? Isn't Vayikra, you know, from the first two years of Moshe Rabbeinu after they left Egypt? If you do your math, you know what I mean. Uh, the Jews left Egypt on Pesach. By Shavuos, they got the Ten Commandments. By Yom Kippur, they got the Second Commandments, the Second Tablets. By Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they erected the Mishkan. And as we all know, uh, by the following Tishabov, they already were holding by the Meraglim. So that's a year and a half, approximately, a little less. That's when most of the action happens. And Vayikra is during that time. So if it's Parshas Amor, I mean, that's already the very beginning of the 40 years, so to speak. So how can it be referring when it says to something happens at the end of the 40 years? Unless you say, that the text of the Chumsh that we have is the final version which Hashem told Moshe to write before he died. And so according to this, Moshe would have had a Vayikra, I mean, I don't know what it was, you know, including this, that, and the other, but not including the part that we just said and maybe other parts. And before he died, when Hashem said, kiss Lechem Sasevra or whatever, and give every Shevet uh, their own copy, and keep a master copy, and the Kodesh Kodesh, the way the Rambam explains it, at the beginning, you know, of the Mishnah Torah. So, Moshe did a final uh, revision, dictated by Hashem, of course. Like I said before, it's a from Bible criticism. So Hashem did the final parts. Uh, and at that point, Hashem's like, look here, Check out Parsha's Emor. I want you to add something. And I want you to add the following. It means like this. Moshe, you're about to die. 
But we just had a very dramatic moment shortly before you died. And that's called Milchemah Sichem Vaog. And I want that commemorated forever. I want that commemorated on the holiday of Sukkot. Whoa! Remember, this is not the Mandarmer says Anani Akovan. This Mandarmer says Sukkot Mamish. So you're flipping the whole thing. You're saying Sukkot does not have to do with Yisrael, right? But rather it has to do with an event that Hashem considers of supreme importance. And I'm putting in one of the Shalash Regalim, not for you what you typically think with something that happened around Tommy Yisrael, right? But rather, Sichem Okay. And that's the sheet that Rondomer says, Sukkot Mamish. Mamish like a Zionist part. Now, uh, if that's the case, still, Jericho had not happened yet, although it was about to happen very shortly. What I mean by that is, if what I just said is true, then all of this is written not long before Moshe dies. So let's say Ador. So when it says, call Israel Yisrael Yeshua Sukkos, it had not happened yet. They hadn't dwelt in any Sukkos in the desert. Um... I don't know about the the little minister Gadasa Robus. I mean, my brain is not working overtime over here. You could maybe possibly construct a scenario. I'd have to pull out the Chumash and say maybe there was original Sukkot with Arba Minin. Maybe that's the original Sukkot. And then the 40th year after the war of Sikh Vogue, Lafid Dismondomer, they added another element called Yeshiva Sasukkot. This is heavy stuff. But again, I repeat, Eureka had not happened yet. So how do you understand, I think like the Tosis Yantu, I believe it is, that the whole ceremony is Alcha Moshe Mitzinai. When it says something, Alcha Moshe Mitzinai, it doesn't have to be that Hashem told Moshe on Mount Sinai, but he, to, but he told Moshe, at least during the 40 years, you know, before he wrote down the Torah, you know what I mean, You know, in, in the course of the 40 years. So, what is he going to tell him? Go around six times and the seventh time because the Yerichah Yerichah didn't happen yet. So I don't know. You'd have to sort of argue that if you go with this Mahal, this Yerushalmi, it must be assuming that the original Mitzvah Rava was uh, simply to march around with it. Wave it. Beat it on the ground. The Tosis Yontem says, I'm just going by what I see in the, in the Arch Komish over here. You know, no heavy scholarship. Uh, but he says that, you know, uh, the chibut, as they call it, hitting on the ground or waving, it's not exactly clear which, what chibut means. Um, but all, all that business goes all the way back. Right? Goes all the way back. And this is how they would, uh, you know, march around in, in those days. And uh, it's strange. Right? It's strange. Because what exactly, you know, were they commemorating? Clearly, you see something kind of mystical over here. It seems to me. On the other hand, you could argue against what I just said. Why is it only the Kohanim can do it? Well, you say they can't go near Nizbeh. So why did God set it up like that? Why did Hashem say it like this? They should make a big zach in the middle of, it, of the whole people in Rosh Hashanah, make a bonfire, and everybody should march around the bonfire. Or something similar to that. That's what we do today. Not a bonfire, we march around the Bimah, but you know what I mean. Why can't the Hold Seber, um participate. That sounds like more of a Maimonidium shot, I think, in which you 
end up thinking along the following lines, and that is, this is ceremony that could easily be uh, shipped over into paganism. They say, you know, Yofi Lacham Mizbeach, how gewaldic you are, Mizbeach. What are you worshiping a Mizbeach? What are you nuts? It is a strange business in Judaism. And particularly if you tell me this whole Ochamashim Mizbeach, now, I don't think that they mean every aspect, like marching around the altar is part of the halacha Moshe Mishina. Maybe, you know, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like that. Yofi l'cham izbeach, yofi l'cham izbeach. Right? Uh, here's a worse one. Yerolezer Omer, l'cha u'l'cham izbeach. L'cha u'l'cham izbeach. Is, hey, to God, we express our acknowledgement, and to you, our altar, we express praise. The Rambam's okay with that. <laughs> right? Sounds like you're worshiping two things. That, that's extremely weird. You understand? So, the answer, of course, has to be like, it's well, you have to understand what it means. It means the Mizbech is an instrument of what the Rabbanu Shalom wants, all the rest of it. That's not for the Hamunam. That's for Kohanim. You understand? They're trained. They can explain to them because they have more education. To work in the base of Mish, it had to be goes to the training program. Um, you can explain to them, no, the Zbech is not a god. But the Hamuna, uh, probably wouldn't have been a good idea if they marched around say, and, and using that kind of language. So when we are young, when we first read this mission, it always bothers you a little bit. When you grow and you see that it was meant for an elite and for Kohanim only, so maybe that explains a little bit better. There is actually an opinion that she didn't somewhere in Menachas that says that the Zikni Yerushalayim, you know, in other words, the great rabbis, I'll use modern terminology, can also march around. Doesn't seem to be the din, but let's say it is. It's Orzerua. Uh All right, same idea. The big rabbi understands the idea of the relationship between the Bunshalom on the one end and the Mizbech on the other. But a regular person is going to get theologically confused, I would imagine, at this rather strange ceremony, which is part of, it's a halacha of Moshe Sinai. Especially the part where Hashem tells Moshe, according to this, you know, um, march around the altar and then, and then whack it on the ground, and, stand, and also stand it up against the altar. I guess I can see symbolism and all that, so can you. But it's most unusual. It's most unusual was not in Mizbeach. And um, how's it go? The Baisusim, I think, the Morses disagree with that. You know, or at least when they did on Shabbos. You can see where a lot of sectarianism would pop up in the, um, among the different sorts of Jews, particularly, excuse me, in the, in the, Baishani, in the Baishani period, when you hold all the different Jewish sectarianisms. Uh, perhaps, I mean, I don't know. Perhaps the idea is, you know, to show God created the world and also the Mizbech, I don't know, something like that. Uh, if someone wants to be homiletical, but only homiletically, you see, march around the Mizbech, the Jewish people praise the concept of sacrifice. Meaning, without sacrifice, you don't gain anything. Without, but you, you, let's put it this way, you can't be a from Jew without sacrificing. If you're not willing to give up any of your uh, Gashmi stuff, it ain't going to work. Now, nowadays we have some richy riches, 
But even they can't go trave, you know what I mean? Uh, everything's according to their madriga. You know, I, as I mentioned my own show, I wouldn't say American Jews, by and large, living a life of sacrifice, especially nowadays, everything's kosher, all the rest of it. But if you talk to your non-firm friends and non-firm relatives, they think you're living a life of incredible hardship because you can't turn on the lights on Friday night. You can't drive somewhere and can't go see a movie, you know. Hardship is, is a matter of um, perspective. It's a relativity. It's kind of interesting that to to think about the idea that the Kohanim prays in some kind of a way the concept of sacrifice, the sight of sacrifice. Uh, that That's kind of sublime, right? That a person be willing to sacrifice something higher. If I wanted to be cynical, why not? I could even push it a little bit farther, but then I'll stop because I've gone long enough already. I just want you to give a little idea because there's Shana Rabbis tomorrow. But of course, Arav is part of the Mitzvah Sukkah every day. You have to understand that when the base of Mitzvah was set out, and even from the time of the Mishkan, there was a constant battle to try to control and restrict the bumos and the sacrifices away from the central location of the cult, the religious cult. Everybody knows, if you know anything about Tanakh at all, that we had problems with the bumos all the time. Rak habumos lo saru. Remember, it always says, by all the righteous kings, and almost every one of them was pretty successful, but he couldn't get rid of the bumos. Because the way the Gemara presents it, I'm sure you know this, is until the base of Migdash, you could have Bombas and then you couldn't. And the general idea, like Busser Taiva in the time of the Midbar, was to try to centralize and control the sacrifice process because with the blood and the fat and all the rest, it's very easy to slip into paganism. Like it says, or something like that. The people went into all kinds of demons and who knows what. And any kind of blood ritual, like you kill an animal, it just schleps along with all this paganism. And so maybe to push the idea of it's much more preferable to bring any carbon that you have to the Mishkan or to the base of Migdash and don't do it at home. And that the Mizbech that you have in your shrine is much superior, much more beautiful, and much more holy than anything else. They developed this uh, or let me rephrase that. They have this ritual in which you say, Yofi This Be'ach in Yerushalayim is sublime. It's unique. That's the place to go. Which is what we want. We want, if you have carbon, if you have a carbon, bring it over there. Like I said before, there may or may not be. That's like a cynical type word. But sometimes there's something to it. There's just a few ideas I had. And with this, I'll let you go. And uh, if I have a chance later on, I'll try to do something about Simple Star. Once again, I want to thank the Stefanskis. And I wish everybody, I want to thank them for having my son uh, for a meal. And maybe another one, I think. And uh, with that, I wish you all a good moe and an upcoming good yantif. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.